Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. Um, in preparation for this message, um, last week I was talking to another brother, and uh, he goes, Corey, speaking on joy, you just need to get up there, and you just need to explain the most joyous experience you have ever had. Just let us live in that. And so I, on, the, on that moment right there, I said, okay, I'm going to give it a... I'm going to give it a try right now. And, and so I start monologuing. And I said, here I am. I'm sitting at the table. And I just pulled off this amazing smoked rack of ribs. And I'm cutting off the morsel. All right? About ready to eat it. And then I, I stopped the story. And I said, now just imagine my wife in the congregation standing up going, excuse me? <laughs> We both thought that was funny. <laughs> Later that day, thinking the story was funny, I go to my wife. And I proceed to tell her the story. And I said, hey, somebody asked me to just describe the most joyous experience that I've ever had. And before I even got to the rest of the story, she looked at me and she goes, was it about meat? man, like that hurts me. (laughs) Hurts. This week we are going to be talking about joy, as uh, Pastor Tom and the the worship team did so well to prepare us for, and specifically the joy found with Emmanuel, God with us. And as we start to think about that, I want to ask a question, how do we define joy? How do we define it? And I think closely tied to that question is, what brings you joy? I think, in fact, when we think about how we define joy, a lot of times we think of that in terms of experience. What have we experienced that has brought on this emotion of joy that we love? I, I experienced joy on my wedding day, as I hope those who are married, you did too. I experienced joy and this weird mixture of terror at the birth of my kids, right? I experienced joy when I come home after being in the office for the day, and my kids, when I walk up and open the door, just yell out, Dad! Like I've been gone for a month. (laughs) I experienced joy when I see the students in our youth ministry put their faith in Christ and grow in their relationships. And watching them worship, just not held back by anything. Joy, it really is kind of a hard thing to describe, at least for me. It's a feeling of excitement. It's warm. It brings about hope that it's all going to be okay, right? Paul says this in Romans 15, He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Joy then, and that is Christian joy, it's not just an emotion, but it's a rock, an anchor, 
And it holds us fast to the hope of heaven we have with our Creator eternally. So the question I have for you this morning is what brings you joy? What brings you joy? The good old Webster defines joy this way. It says, Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing something that one desires. So let me say that again. Joy is the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of, of possessing what one desires. Now, as I, th- I thought about this definition, I, I had a, kind of a big problem with it. Because if, if we use this definition of joy for ourselves, joy seems that it could become something elusive. Here, one moment, and gone the next. If joy is evoked by well-being, and we know this well, especially the last two weeks, three weeks, what happens if we're not well? Welcome back. Those who have been gone, <laughs> yeah, welcome back. If joy is evoked by success, does that mean I can only remain successful to keep my joy? Everything I do has to be a success. If it's evoked by good fortune, is there joy available when misfortune happens? If it's available, or if if the prospect of possessing what one desires is where you find joy, well, what if my desires are wrong? What if I possess that desire and find out it does not bring me joy at all? Can joy still be found? Now, I have some problems with that definition, but on one hand, there may be some truth to that definition, right? It makes sense. It's hard to imagine joy if you are not well. (laughs) Like, nobody goes through pneumonia and says, yes, so happy. (laughs) It's hard to imagine joy when you're unsuccessful or under misfortune or lacking what you desire, or maybe you just simply have no desires at all. Using this definition of joy, then, it, it does become elusive because the things that give you joy are not guaranteed. They're just not. And it begs the question, as I think about this, is there something more available, more sure, never-ending, always there, dependable, eternal, that I can derive my joy from. Is there something, or someone rather, who transcends the fading material world who I can find immeasurable joy in? I believe the answer is yes. That's why I'm up here this morning. <laughs> so here is my outline this morning, just to help you map this out. Here's my outline. My first point will be this. Joy is available to every Christian. Joy is available to every Christian. My second point will be Christian joy manifests when nothing else compares to Jesus. Christian joy manifests when nothing else compares to Jesus. And my last point will be in the presence of Jesus is fullness of joy. In the presence of Jesus is fullness of joy. So pray with me this morning as we get into this.
Lord, we come together now looking to your word, Lord, and ask that you would teach us. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate the scriptures with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we would walk out today with a better understanding, a better grasping of the joy we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you convince our hearts that there is nothing and no one better to go to than to our Lord. Lord, who is in his presence is abundant joy. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Joy is available to every Christian. Joy and salvation are closely linked. All right? Joy and salvation are closely linked. Our joy is brought about through our salvation. Now, just think for a minute. When we consider what was true of us before we came to faith in Christ, we see that we are utterly hopeless. And in this sense, we are destined to chase happiness in any and everything, never satisfied. And in the end, joy was not our final destination. Rather, eternal separation from God. And instead of joy, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 talks about this groaning, that all creation takes, a, takes part in, in waiting the arrival of Christ and the redemption offered through him. If you would, go ahead and turn to Romans 8. We're going to look at verse 18. Where Paul talks about this groaning that all creation takes part in. Romans 8, starting in verse 18, says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us to us excuse me for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of god for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who was subjected who subjected it in hope that creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So prior to Christ, Paul says, creation is trapped in a bondage of corruption. And in this bondage of corruption, what is it doing? It's groaning. Maybe you identify that. You think about before you met Christ, the longing in your heart for something more. Maybe it was the freedom of an addiction. Maybe it was the the hurt of dealing with pain in this life. We groan. Now, someone may say, though, well, I don't see all creation groaning. Rather, I, I see many Many people who do not follow your God and seem to live a happy life. And on the surface, that maybe seem right. Maybe they do seem happy. But nevertheless, this life and the joys it offers are fleeting and momentary, and it is all they have. So they think, well, why not live lavishly? Why not live life to the absolute fool and get all I can and experience the joy, the happiness. 
But despite their momentary expressions of joy, it is still groaning because this is all they have. I was watching a little docu-series recently. Some of you may know it. I think it's called Limitless. And it's got this actor, well-known actor, uh, plays in the Marvel movies. All right, big, just big dude. Strong, athletic, fit. And the docu-series is about him, and, and asking the, he's asking the question, what do I need to do so that in my elderly years, I'm living my best life? healthy, as strong as I could be. And he is subjected to every test in the world. Blood test, physical test, etc. All to reveal his weaknesses. Some of his genetic dispositions and what he can do to overcome those. And at the last episode, the whole episode is centered on death. And it's a very, as you can imagine, somber episode where you're watching this guy, again, who takes incredible care of his body. And he is trying to come to terms with his mortality. And at one point in the episode, I look over at my wife and we're watching this. And I say, you know, this would be such a perfect spot for somebody to give the gospel message. Because the episode is sad. (laughs) The show ends, and it's not a happy ending. You don't, you don't, at least I didn't. I didn't walk away from that going, wow, that was so good. I love that. Um, no, it, it ends with, the point is, hey, we're all going to die. We don't know when, so let's make the most of it. And while I agree with that statement, I think we all would, I am so happy, joyful even, that I can say my death is not the end. Christians don't have a message of groaning. Well, this is all you get. No, because of our salvation in Christ, we rejoice. Prior to salvation, we groan. After salvation, we rejoice. 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, You believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Is this not why we rejoice? That our God, the same God who you can read about in Exodus, who heard the groanings of the Israelites who were in bondage to Egypt, he heard our groanings, and bondage to sin, and sent his son to break that bondage of sin and death so that we can live with him eternally in joyous celebration. We see in Galatians 5, well-known passage, 22, fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We understand that when we enter into the state of salvific faith, that we are then indwelt by the Holy Spirit, 
who produces fruit in our lives. And we see that just second from the list, from the top, is joy. And so I want to say again, joy is available to every Christian, and I will add this, and every person who would repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, you may be thinking, Corey, we know this. I'm just talking about, he's the youth pastor, you know, he teaches students and they may not know it, but we've been Christians for many years. We could have been, we could have told you that. So why, so why do you start here? Uh, the reason why I start here is because as you read through church history, it's, it's actually quite shocking, especially early Christianity, you will find descriptions of Christians, and one of the, one of the things you will no doubt find is their joy among just great persecution, incredibly persecution. And yet you've got these Roman historians talking about these weird Christians who are just full of joy because of how God has blessed them. Additionally, I've, I've had the privilege of traveling to several different countries and meeting other brothers and sisters in Christ. And it always shocks me because they materially have nothing compared to what I have. And yet their joy, some of the most joy-fulfilled people I've ever met in my life. Why are they joyful? Their relationship with Christ, nothing else has brought them joy. And so I make this point because I believe that we, the church in all of America, we need a reminder. Joy in Christ is available. And so if you have come this morning and you have lost your joy, I want to remind you, it's still there. You can have it back. We've certainly experienced this joy in our lives before. As believers, we typically uh, see this joy in a person who first enters a relationship with Jesus, right? First, in that process, you see that they're caught up in the grievousness of their sins, and they repent. They come to the Lord asking for forgiveness. And then, in that moment, when they realize they have been forgiven by the Lord through what Christ has done for them, they are overcome by mercy and the grace of God and the forgiveness he has offered through Christ, And maybe you've experienced that yourself when you have listened to a sermon or you're singing a song and it brings you back to that beautiful truth that you were were incredibly broken and lost without Christ. And you just realize what he has done on the cross for you. What does it do? Humbles you, but then it brings about joy. It brings joy. But then, if anyone's like me, There seems to be a fight, right? We have this joy-filled experience, and then what comes next? Something wants to come and rob it. I can't tell you how many times I have seen someone come to faith in Christ, joyful, on fire for the Lord, and guess what happens next? The enemy comes in, attacks, tries to steal their joy. Something major happens can't tell you how many times that has happened to me. In fact, those situations, it really does beg the question, 
Where am I getting my joy from? Furthermore, how do I keep this joy? And so my second point is this. First point was joy is available to every Christian and anyone who would put their trust and faith in Christ. The second point is this. Our Christian joy continues to manifest in our lives when nothing else, that is anything in the world for which you may find pleasure in, compares to Jesus. So our joy, our Christian joy, continues to manifest in our lives when nothing else compares to Jesus. Consider these three testimonies found in Scripture. The first one in Luke 2, verses 25 through 32. This is the story of Simeon. Jesus has been born. His parents bring him to the temple. And in verse 25, it says this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the, par- and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. I would almost tell the story another way. I think you could simply say, Simeon had one item on his bucket list. Just one thing. To see the Messiah. And when it happens, he says, Lord, you could take me now. There's nothing else on my list. There's nothing left for life to give me that tops this experience. I can now depart in peace. There is nothing else to experience. Nothing compared to the arrival of Jesus. Isn't that challenging? For me. Consider what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 8. I've heard this before. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, for Paul, nothing compared to Jesus, nothing. In fact, he talks about the suffering he endures as if it doesn't matter. It's not just the joys we find in this life, it's the suffering. For Paul... Knowing Jesus as Lord surpassed all of it, transcends all of it. Because the joy that was born into his heart as a Christian of gaining Christ. And in that gaining of Christ, he's fixated on the eternal glory of who he is. And it rises above every temporary thing, whether that be suffering, 
wealth, sickness, health. And like the psalmist, I believe in Psalms 4, verse 7, we can say as well, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. Funny picture, isn't it? New wine, grain. I mean, it means they're drinking a lot. <laughs> Psalmist says, you have put more joy in me than that. Why is that? Well, the grain and wine are only temporary. Christ is eternal. The joy given to us in Christ is a much different joy than given to us by the world. Because the world's joy is perishable. And thus Christian joy, the joy we have in Christ and our salvation, this is a joy that transcends all other things. Whether in suffering or delight, it manifests itself when nothing else compares to Christ. So I want to go back to my beginning question again. What brings you joy? What is bringing you joy? And like myself, I'm sure you can list off so many things that have brought you joy in life, and they are for sure, don't hear me wrong here, they are testimonies of God's goodness in our life, are they not? We're so thankful. Even in the temporary things, the Lord is just saying, hey, I just want to bless you with this in this moment. He doesn't wish for you to live sad earthly existence. No, he blesses us. But is our joy fleeting because the primary source of our joy has been placed in the temporary and not on the eternal? I'm afraid that we often, myself included, put too much weight in the things of this life. Even believers in Christ, we are at risk of treating this life as if there is all that it is. This is it. And therefore, we start becoming too concerned with our own little earthly kingdoms that we have built instead of not being consumed by the kingdom of God. We elevate comfort and material higher than they belong. And we give suffering more power than it has. Think about it. How is it possible that Paul and Silas, they're imprisoned and they're able to sing joyously to the Lord while in their chains? If you ever look up what Roman prisons were like, it was, it's definitely not compared to what it is today. But they sing joyously. Why? Because nothing good or bad compares to the joy they have for the salvation of their souls founded in Jesus. Chains were not going to rob them of their joy because they knew they were free. Consider Jesus himself who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. The weight of the world's sin on his shoulders as he endures the cross and he takes the wrath of God and he perseveres because of the joy he finds in obedience to the Father. Joy in his eyes all the way through. We have an eternal joy set before us, but we make too much of this life. It's like the story of a, the little boy. I don't remember if this was Pastor Aaron or Pastor Mike a while ago. They gave this illustration. 
It's an illustration of the little, little boy who's playing in the mud puddle. And his parents are telling him, hey, we're about to go to the beach. He'd never been before. And he doesn't want to leave the mud puddle because he can't imagine anything better than the mud puddle. (laughs) Have we become so consumed with the things of this life that it has robbed us of our joy in Christ? If the answer is yes, how do we make a course correction? How do we train our hearts to desire Christ above all else? How can we rightly train our hearts to find the most joy in Jesus? I believe the answer is by coming into his glorious presence on a regular basis all the time. Here we have this, or we really find this beautiful message of Advent. That God came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. This brings us to our last point. In Jesus, in Jesus' presence, we have the fullness of joy. When we consider the Christmas story, especially you read through Luke 2, and you look at the responses of different people and creatures who are part of the birth narrative of Christ, you see folks like Elizabeth and Zechariah, who they're told they have this miracle child, John, who's going to pave the way for Jesus. But you read to what Zechariah says, their, their joy was not just found in this miracle baby birth. But Zechariah says in Luke 1, verse 68, he says, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited, God with us, and provided redemption for his people. They were, their joy was not in just this new baby. It was, that was joyful nonetheless. But God is coming to bring redemption. This is where their joy came from. Consider the angels that Pastor Tom read about. The angels visited the shepherds in the field, announcing the birth of Jesus and the multitude singing, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. I can't imagine that experience. <laughs> But the angels were expressing joy on behalf of us. In the presence of Jesus, you see Simeon, as we just looked at, and and the next story over, Anna, giving praise to God. Presence of Christ, their joy becomes overflowing. When we come together weekly, We are collectively coming into the presence of God, singing about his mercy, his grace, and his salvation. We collectively pray to the Lord, thanksgiving and petition. We collectively hear from his word, the word that renews our minds and teaches us the paths of righteousness. But what's amazing is the presence is just not here, is it? Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 that he is with us. At all times, till the end of the age. And so what that tells me is that whether you are at home, school, at work, on your way to work, maybe you're with your family around the dinner table, and maybe you found that moment of peace. (laughs) Silence by yourself. 
We have the opportunity to come into the presence of Jesus. And in that presence, fullness of joy is found. If you are struggling with joy this morning, Jesus is inviting you into his presence. Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. What I find is that it doesn't take long to be in his presence to completely change your viewpoint, to bring your joy back. Just last week, uh, for youth group, we do these things we call night of worship. And for a night of worship, we always uh, theme the night, something different. We do it about once a semester. And what, the, what it is, is the students come in and there's basically prayer stations set up throughout the FLC, throughout the building. And we ask them, we said, hey, just for this night only, we know it's going to be hard, but don't talk with your friends. <laughs> we want you to go and just be alone with the Lord and interact with these different stations. And the theme last week, coming off of Thanksgiving, was that, Thanksgiving and gratitude. And so at the start of the night, I asked the students, and this is before we, did, we have done anything as far as the activity goes, I asked the students, I said, hey, what are you thankful for? And I got all kinds of answers, all right? Teenagers, some of the boys, they're yelling out, Xbox. Some people are yelling out, good food. Some are yelling out, friends. All those things are great. A lot of one-worded answers came out. A lot of them were just funny. But they really weren't all that deep. And so we started the activity, and we started the activity with a couple worship songs, really focusing on what the Lord has done for us. And then after those two songs, the students broke up for about a half an hour, and they went to these different stations. And during those stations, they were digging into Scripture. They were being asked to reflect on the goodness of God in their lives and all he's done for them. And then in response to even think about how have they been thankful or even ungrateful in that process? And what I love about these nights is it really does, it allows students to just kind of tune out the rest of the world and just say, I just want to focus on me and my relationship with God right now. And this is what I love. After 30, just 30 minutes, half hour of this was done, we call the students back because we're about to do a larger worship set in response to the activity. And before we did the singing, I asked the students again, hey, what are you thankful for? I'm telling you, you should have been there. Because what these students were expressing was deep, profound truths of why they were thankful for what God had done in their lives. And not just the students, some of the leaders, they participated in this as well. And they were giving testimony, praising the Lord for what he has done. And guess what? It was a joy-filled time. And we followed that time up with another literally half hour of singing in response to what the Lord has shown us during that prayer meditation time. And it was a joy-filled time. I loved watching the students worship during that. Here's the thing. Coming regularly into the presence of Jesus, in that presence you will find abundant joy. I want to finish up this talk this morning by reading Psalm 16. You can turn there. I believe this psalm in its entirety really captures the essence of what we've been talking about this morning.
Psalm 16, starting in verse 1. A miktam of David. It says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Apart from God, there is no good that we have. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are, they are the excellent ones, in whom, all, who, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. You see, for those who would seek, or even ourselves, for, for us who would seek our joy in something other than the Lord, we will find only sorrow. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Not only does the psalmist orient his life towards the Lord, he acknowledges in the presence of God. Remember Jesus' words, I am with you until the end of time. Verse 9, look at how he responds to these truths. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me just just repeat that last line. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen? Amen. Amen.